Okay, we are kick-starting our series today in the book of Joshua. It's an Old Testament uh, book. It comes after the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Pentateuch. So you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, and then we launch into Joshua. And Joshua, 24 chapters, is it, it's exciting. Like, if you think of uh, films, blockbusters, there are multiple blockbusters within uh, this book. Um, we've got battles, we've got wars, we've got uh, fights, we've got uh, a prostitute uh, who deceives and lies but comes to know Jesus. Um, in that, we've got military coalitions, we've got uh, people uh, who sin, and then that just puts the whole of the Israelite uh, people on the back foot in terms of God's purposes and plans uh, for them. Um, a really, really exciting, fast-paced uh, story, um, true story, and uh, we're going to be unpacking it um, into the summer, um, so for the next few months, and as we've been doing the last few weeks, I want to encourage you to be reading along, not just week by week, uh, looking ahead to see what we're uh, going to be preaching in, um, but uh, also just read it in a sitting or two. Um, let's get into this book. Let's trust that God is going to use this to shape us, not just as Christians individually, but also as a church together, united together, in mission together, in, as a family together, united uh, together. And as we follow, follow up in our lives, in our relationships, as well as in our life groups, actually trusting that God is going to use that to knit us together as we move forward into his purposes. Okay, so... It, find your way there. Always encourage you to have your Bibles in front of you. Uh, Joshua chapter 1. We're only going to be looking at the first six verses today, but we're really looking at the context of the whole book. So we're going to look at Joshua. We're going to look at the man. Uh, we're also going to look at the mission that God calls him to. And through that, uh, we're going to see about God's purposes for us as well today. Right, chapter 1 verses 1 to 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Okay, so here we get really the context uh, of the book of Joshua, uh, really the context of what God is doing through the Israelite nation, the people of God, the people that God called from Abraham and is now building and shaping and forming a family uh, of God to be his own. And we learn really about Joshua uh, a number of things, but just going to draw out uh, three um, as we look at the man. So Joshua came after Moses. Uh, Moses was uh, the, the first leader of the people of Israel. Um, he led them out of slavery in Egypt uh, to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people through the Red Sea. And the plan was that he was going to lead them into the promised land. Now, because of Israel's disobedience, they didn't trust that God was going to lead them into that promised land. They saw the enemies. They sent some spies in. They said, look, we haven't got faith for this. We don't trust our God. So because of their disobedience and Moses' disobedience as well, God said, look, you're not going to enter the promised land. So they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, um, just wandering around, just on the edge of the promised land. And, and God said, look, this generation is going to die out before you are going to go into the promised land. And Moses was leading them this whole time. Um, and then it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 37, 
because of you, uh, this is Moses, because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, you shall not enter it, speaking of the promised land, but your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. So Joshua came after Moses. He was the leader that God chose to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. We've also got something beautiful in Joshua's name. So his name in Hebrew is Yeshua. That means Yahweh is salvation. If you translate Yeshua into the Greek, it translates as Jesus. Joshua is a forerunner, a type of Jesus. Everything that we see fulfilled in Joshua with the people of Israel and everything that he achieved and accomplished, we see ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So as we unpack this book in the coming months, you will see again and again that that Joshua points forward to Jesus. It's really, really exciting. And that Joshua is, is just a glimpse, just a shadow of the beauty and the wonder of all that Jesus accomplishes uh, in his life and death and resurrection um, on earth. So, Jesus is the true and better Joshua. But we also see that Joshua is, the, is a servant before he is a successor. He's Moses' servant before he is his successor. So he spent, would have spent a number of years in slavery, Joshua would have done in, in Egypt, would have come through the Red Sea. He was then Moses' assistant for 40 years in the wilderness. Joshua was, was in the background. You know, he wasn't the head man, he wasn't the one leading the charge. He was in the background, and for many of those years, potentially up to 80 years, he was just in obscurity. No one would have necessarily known much about him for much uh, of that time. He was in the background. But this is often the way that obscurity often precedes God bringing us into the callings that he has for us. That God has a calling for every single one of you. He has plans and purposes that he, he is drawing you into and wants to draw you into. But actually, God's way is often obscurity first. It's often being in the background first. It's servanthood first. And maybe you might think, oh, why? Um, (laughs) Hey, little one. And and wife, Jude. Um, Just, yeah, why am I being missed out? Why am I being passed over? You might think, I've got a gift of leadership. Why am I not being drawn into or brought into this calling? And I would just encourage you that... that, uh, the, the story of Joshua and Joshua's life teaches us that God is at work in the obscurity. He's at work in the, the quiet times. He's at work behind the scenes. Be faithful. Don't despise the years of obscurity. God has more work to do in you. He is preparing you. At Redpath, who wrote the commentary that we're finding really helpful for going through Joshua, he says this, Who can tell today for what God is preparing us for? So often we murmur at the narrow round of daily duty. So often we think we are worthy of something bigger. Our little sphere of service seems so inadequate, so unworthy. But I want to say to you that every hour of it is essential if God would make you a man or a woman 
that he can use. We see it in the, in the life of David, King David as well. Um, he was the eighth son, so no one would have known that he was around. Like, I've got just three kids, and it's hard enough keeping up with each of them as they, we have more kids. Uh, it's just hard. He's the eighth son. Okay? He got the worst job. He had to look after the sheep in the fields, a lonely and isolating job. Um, he was anointed. So as in, uh, Samuel came to him and said, you're going to be the king. But then there was 15 to 20 years before David actually became king. He spent many of those years in the wilderness, in obscurity, feeding the sheep, protecting the sheep, looking after the sheep. And God used that time, all of that time, to teach David how to fight uh, and how to worship um, and how to meditate on God. We see it with Jesus as well, that he spent 30 years in obscurity as well. For just three years of ministry. <laughs> she wants a part in it, doesn't she? One day, one day, little one. Um, yeah, just 30 years repairing things, making things with his dad for just three years of ministry. This is so often God's way. So brothers and sisters, God has a purpose and calling for you and your life. God will work it out. Don't despise the years of being in the background. Submit to God. Be servant-hearted. Do what's in front of you. Be faithful in that, and God will work out the rest. Protect your heart from frustration and bitterness, and God will do the rest. So that's the man. Joshua came after Moses. His name means the Lord. Yahweh is salvation, and he was a servant before he was a successor. Let's look now at the mission. Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. So holidays at the Med, nice. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So God had a plan and a purpose and a mission for Joshua and the people of Israel. It had two parts. Firstly, to drive out the Canaanites from the land of Canaan. And secondly, to occupy that promised land. So the Canaanites, let's, uh, let's learn a bit about them. Okay? The Canaanites lived in the land of Canaan. They, they, made, they lived in many towns, cities, and villages. Places like Jericho and Ai and Gibeon. They were a people of war. Okay? They were a people of war. They had iron chariots. They had scythes that uh, were attached to the chariots so that when they uh, drove through the enemy, uh, they, they just scythed them down. Okay? These were a fierce enemy, a fierce opposition for the people of Israel who had none of that. The people were entrenched in sexual sin as well, entrenched in prostitution. They were entrenched in... Um, infant sacrifice as well. And, and they, didn't just, they didn't just give themselves to it, but they celebrated these things, these, 
depraved attitudes and practices. And God said in in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4 to 5, After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity, speaking to the Israelites here, that you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's judgment was coming upon them. But he gave them, let me assure you, he gave them plenty of time to repent. We might think this is so unfair of God to just drive these people out, to to kill large swathes of them. Surely this is unjust, unjust and unfair. Actually, when they were wandering around in the wilderness, word came to the Canaanites of this God, Yahweh. And they had time to repent. They had time to show faith, as we will find out in future weeks about Rahab, the prostitute who by faith, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, that by faith Rahab welcomed the spies and therefore she wasn't killed with those who were disobedient. Her life is just a small example of what God was probably doing again and again in the people uh, of Canaan. Actually giving them time to repent and turn towards God and to, uh, for, for God's anger to be abated, his judgment to be abated. Peter says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's heart. It's always a slow heart, (laughs) slow to anger, slow to anger. He longs for all to repent. If you're listening to this or you're here today and you, you, you don't know Jesus, he, his desire is for you to know him. And he's slow to bring his anger and his judgment. He's slow to wrap up all of this and bring that new heavens, that new earth, because he wants all people that he has called and elected to come into his family. So that's the first part of the mission, to drive out the Canaanites. The second part of the mission was to occupy the promised land. Now, this was promised to Abraham 500 years before Joshua actually takes the Israelites into the promised land. Genesis chapter 17, verse 8. I will give you, speaking to Abraham, God speaking to Abraham, I will give you and them the land in which you are now a foreigner. I will give the whole land of Canaan to your family forever and I will be their God. So Abraham didn't see it. He just lived as a foreigner in the land, didn't see the fullness of the inheritance that God had for him. Abraham's son, Isaac, didn't see it. His son, Jacob, didn't see it. Moses got oh so close, but didn't see it. And Joshua has the privilege, after 500 years of seeing the promise come to fulfillment. As I said earlier, God's timing in terms of bringing us into what he's got for us, what he calls us into, 
is so often quite slow. Here again, 500 years. They had plenty of opportunity to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's promise, to say, well, you're never going to do it. And yet they remained faithful, especially Joshua, Caleb. They remained faithful, trusting that God's plans and purposes would be worked out. So you might be thinking, what on earth does all of this have to do with us today? 2000, well, 2,000 years after Jesus, thousands of years after uh, these events happened. And the beautiful thing is that in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 in the New Testament, it shows us and God tells us that actually Canaan, represent, what it represented for the people of Israel, actually for us, represents our life in Christ. And it represents our full salvation and our inheritance that God has for us today. So all that we will learn and all that we will see in the coming months in terms of Joshua, fulfilled in Jesus, is actually our inheritance today. It's wonderful, it's special, it's exciting, and we're looking forward to unpacking it uh, together. I want us just briefly to look at how we as Christians take hold of our full salvation in Christ. How do we go from here in the coming weeks and months and years and for the rest of our life? How do we take hold of our full salvation in Christ? I wonder how many of us would say we're walking in the good of that. Maybe you might think, oh, I'm I'm battling sin and temptation. These are are days where I, I certainly don't feel victorious. I don't feel victorious over sin. I don't feel like I'm in the victory, not just the negative of that, but even walking in the positive of all that God has called us to. I want us to know that it's what God has for us, all that he has for us in Christ, is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. It's given to us by God. We see that with Abraham. The land was given to him. We see that with the people of Israel and Joshua. The land was given to them. It wasn't something that they earned. It wasn't something uh, that because of their own merit or their hard work that suddenly God was like, okay, well now I'll give it to you. They inherited it as a gift from God. They were given cities, towns, and vineyards, things that they had not planted or earned. They got the grapes and the good fruit and the good wine, all that they didn't do anything to earn or deserve. And the reality is that the Christian is a victorious person. If you're a Christian here today, you are in Christ. You are victorious. In Christ. That is your position. Whatever your current, present circumstances, difficult as they can be, as entrenched as you might feel in your sin, the truth and reality is that you are in Christ and you are victorious in Him. That the war is already won. The battles might still be raging, but the war is won. That you are a son, that you are a daughter. And that is the position that God wants us to live from. 
that he wants us to take the promised land, the full inheritance that God has for us. He wants us to take it, but as sons and daughters, resting in all that he has for us. And so, as the Israelites did, we must take hold of it by faith and obedience. It wasn't just enough for God to say, like, this land is yours. Like, go and get it. Go and have it. It's yours. They actually had to do something about it. That's why it says in Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 3, um, that I will give you every place where you set your foot. They actually had to walk into it. They actually had to do something about it. They had to put into practice that which they had been told. That's why Steve said last week, like in terms of following up the preachers in life groups and things like that, it's because we need to actually not just be hearers, but be doers as well. It's no good just hearing uh, things from us, hearing things from God's Word. We actually have to put it into practice and do it. Let me just finish by giving us a, a couple of practical examples of what that looks like. So full salvation in Christ, it means living free from concern about money and possessions. Matthew, Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's God's heart for us, that we would not worry about what the future holds, that we would not worry about the money that we, we need or the food that we need or the possessions that we need, but that we'd seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what obedience looks like, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we read that and we go, okay, well, that's my job, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God's job and his promise is that all these things will be given to us as well. So we trust the promise, but we take the steps of obedience. Full salvation in Christ means living free from what others think about us and being bold in our witness. In Luke 12, Jesus promises that uh, the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say at the moment when we need them. So we either take that as a promise, I'm not saying this is easy, but we either take hold of this, this, this promise and say, okay, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, or it's just a promise that gathers dust, you know, in the corner of our lives, and we, it just stays there. We don't then grow in faith, we don't step out, we don't grow in our relationship with God and our trust of Him, it just stays in the background. And I want to encourage us to be a people who take hold of God's promises, it's just one at a time. It's reading something like that in the Bible when you open it and going, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to put that into practice. It's a life of adventure. It's a, a life believing that the war is already won, that we are sons and daughters, that we are more than conquerors through Christ. So let us, like Joshua and the Israelites, let us step into a greater realization of the promised land and the full inheritance that Jesus has for us. And as we stumble and fall, as we, as we find life difficult and we, we're tempted into other things, things that God has not 
given us or are not good for us. Let's turn to Jesus. There's always forgiveness. There's always, a, there's always the kindness of God as he wraps his arm around us and he will lead us into what he has for us. Good, good things. Even Nathan, if you guys wouldn't mind coming up. If we could stand, we're going to take communion together because want us to come before the cross of Christ. Want us to come before God again. Want us to reorient our lives around the blood and the body of Jesus. Jamie wonderfully earlier just shared just that sense of wherever you're at, like whatever you're facing, maybe whatever sin you are facing at the moment, however entrenched that is, we can always come back to Jesus. We will always find and know God's forgiveness. So let's do that. And I just want to encourage you that as we, as we take the, uh, the wafer and the little bit of juice, um, to bring your heart before God. To say to God, look, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for what I've done. I turn away from that. But Lord, I want so much more. I want the promised land. I want the full inheritance of all that you have for me.